Greetings fellow captains and welcome back to Rank Amateur. Today in Rank Amateur we are featuring the Tier 7 non-premium Pan-Asian Destroyer, the Gajah Mada. I think that's how you pronounce it, I looked it up on Google Translate. It is an Indonesian destroyer and it has quite, or I guess not quite the service history, but it served several nations in its history, along with some fairly major news in World of Warships. Stick around, that is up next. So for World of Warships news this fortnight, there isn't a large quantity of news, but what there is is very big news. So the first major thing is the fact that there is going to be uh, new German destroyers that are going to be introduced in the next update. And uh, that there's, I think they're kind of like a German Pablo Emilio is what I'm getting. Uh, they're supposed to have a very good armor-piercing performance, mediocre high-explosive performance, be very, very large destroyers, have, like, kind of Kabarosk-type uh, uh, armor. It's going to be sort of thick, but not thick enough to really, like, stop uh, battleship-caliber shells or anything. So not quite cruiser armor, but, like, definitely better than destroyer armor. Um, they're going to have 150mm main battery guns and some ridiculous ridiculously good dispersion i think the tier 10 one's got 57 meters of dispersion at like 11 kilometers or so yeah so basically what it is when you're firing your guns in these things it's just going to be a point and click type game it's that's what it is um there's the really what they really are is just light cruisers essentially just really tiny light cruisers and they're also going to have that kind of typical german uh torpedo performance where you get not uh, I mean, not like European type low damage output, but it's not going to be like Japanese destroyer type. It's going to be kind of mid range. Reload's going to be pretty good on the destroyers, uh, torpedoes though. But they are going to follow the World of Warships trend of not giving destroyers smoke screens. So these things will be very large, have uh, large health pools. I think the um, the tier 10, I forget what its name is. It's going to have like 33,000 hit points, I think, which is crazy for a destroyer. So that's uh, interesting. Uh, introducing more German ships. I mean, they just introduced the German aircraft carriers not too long ago, so surprised they're already uh, introducing more German ships. But I believe, I, I don't know when they're totally introducing these. They've been kind of working on them for a while. The uh, Italian battleships, very interesting. Gonna, I'm pretty sure they're just going to be like a Roma. Uh, except they're going to have an exhaust smoke screen, and then they're going to have sap and armor piercing, I believe. I'm not super sure on that, but I know they're going to be very fast to have the exhaust smoke screen, at least right now. I mean, that could change. It could modify it. It's still in progress uh, for testing. And then they're also going to um, not have main guns that are like worse than German accuracy type. Uh, so I believe they're going to have good armor as well so more of a german type battleship which is interesting because they've been going for the meta where it's kind of more a stay back and snipe type meta although that is starting to change i don't think wargaming totally knows what their meta wants to be because they're introducing ships like the hisen which literally just stay at range and shoot from mid to maximum range 
and then they're introducing ships like these new um, Italian battleships, which are going to be ineffective at anything but medium to close range. So uh, curious to see how that kind of plays with the uh, current meta. And then, of course, I know most of you are uh, just waiting for me to get to it, and that is the biggest piece of new news, and that is the Commander Skill Rework. I've heard so many things about the Commander Skill Rework. Uh, some people really, really like it. Some people don't like it at all. I've heard people that hate it. Um, but it's they, they've been working on it, and it used to be just a straight buff to carriers because they were going to have, like, a 20% buff to their uh, armor-piercing bomb damage or something like that, something crazy like that, and there was going to be no downside to it. But uh, they recently, I believe as of, like, a few days ago, just changed it so that it's down to, like, 3% now, so they got hit with the nerf hammer pretty hard there. Uh, and it used to be that German battleships were essentially just going to they're just going to be killed by this rework because they're having their the high tier German battleships, uh, talking about like tier seven and above, were having their secondaries nerfed by thirty percent, which is basically the only thing that German battleships have going for them, besides the fact that they're just really really hard to kill, um, because you know you got the main, inaccurate main guns, uh, and they're just, I mean they're kind of fast but they're not like flankers and the inaccuracy of their main battery guns and most of them don't have that many main battery guns uh to begin with that really kind of makes them a frustrating battleship to play but when you have those secondaries where you can just melt destroyers and pretty much anything that gets within your secondary range uh that that is a huge plus plus the turtle mech armor makes you hard to citadel at close range but at long range which is where the uh, a lot of the ships at higher tier like to be played uh, it makes you even more vulnerable to citadels. Citadeling a Bismarck at a range of 18 or 15 to 18 kilometers is very easy to do. Some cruisers can do it. I'm talking like Yoshino and Stalingrad, even like a Des Moines or uh, Henri IV uh, can citadel uh, a German battleship at range. But at close range, the Yamato struggles to citadel a German battleship, especially if it's angled. Now, should the Yamato ever be at close range? No, not really, but um, just kind of puts in the perspective of how good the armor is. But if you take away half of the German battleship's gimmick, and that is their secondaries, you only got their armor left, so it means they're just kind of a giant target that's hard to kill, but easy to farm damage off of, especially if you're a destroyer. Oh, and I forgot to mention the Hydro. That's also a gimmick they get. But, um... They changed it, so now they're only getting a 10% nerf. But I think they've even just changed that now so that it's, uh, it's basically just no no change in uh, what their uh, secondary battery firing range is. So people are like, well, okay, well, what's the reason why World of Warships is changing this? Why why do they why are they fixing something that's already working? And there's there's actually some pretty good reasoning behind it, and I haven't heard this from any other content creators. They also kind of just seem to be taking the negative uh side of the argument here and i really think that they have a good reason for changing this so for the first reason that wargaming states i'm not going to quote them directly but what they say is that there's for many ships there's only really one effective build i mean if you build a gross occur first for consumer you're really not gonna I guess that's a bad example, but if you build it wrong, you're not maximizing your ship's potential, and if you happen to go up against another one of your ship who, 
or your like another clone of your ship, uh, and he's running the optimal build and you're not, you're probably going to lose that fight. But they're trying to make it so that you can suit the ship to your gameplay style. So if you really want to go brawl, they're trying to give you more options to get a ship that maybe isn't so great at brawling to be great at brawling so you can take it into uh, the, the cap and just wreck everybody's day. And they're also trying to make ships that maybe are good at brawling. They, they want to give you some options so maybe you can more effectively fight at longer ranges as well. And I, I, really, I really do commend them on that. They're, they're actively trying to make the gameplay style more varied because they've always been getting, I guess, criticism because Wargaming either has... It, they have, like, a meta where if your ship's this, like, if it's long-range... Or in, in 2020, it was kind of just long-range. If your ship's long-range and accurate, you were golden. But if your ship was only effective at short-range, <laughs> German battleships, you weren't really gonna do super well but now i th they're trying to make it so that there are some ships that will close the distance and you can't really do anything about that and there's some ships that will stay at long range and you can't really do anything about that and they're trying to make it so that the gameplay varies based on what your team is made up of and they're trying to make it more dynamic and i guess that's i i do like that i mean they're trying to make it easier for you to play your ship, and they're also trying to make it so that ships don't have radically different playstyles. Like, if I went from the Japanese battleships to the German battleships, I'd have to totally change the way I'm playing. But now with this Commander Skill rework, I wouldn't really have to change this much. It would be an easier way to ease myself into this totally different playstyle of the German battleships, rather than just being smacked on the head with it and kind of being expected to... Uh, play with it and some players are better at this now obviously flamu bounce or flamu and uh like sea lord mountain madden and other people they they're used to that but the average player is not going to be so that they're trying to make it easier to play ships that are particularly hard to play and i guess i really do commend them on that so one of the big changes that they're trying to make to the game is by differentiating classes more like making more of a cruiser playstyle and more of a battleship playstyle and more of a destroyer playstyle, like separating them even more, and of course aircraft carrier as well, separating them even more than they are now. Um, the only problem I really see with what they're trying to do here by creating separate, or yeah, that, the reason they're doing this is they're creating separate skills. So if you have a battleship, you're going to have different skills than you're going to have on a cruiser. You're going to have different skills than you're going to have on a destroyer. And the only problem I see with them doing that is the fact that battle cruisers are going to have a heavy nerf after this, because battle cruisers could pick some skills that would go better for some cruisers, and then pick some skills that may be better for some battleships, and kind of combine them, and make it sort of like a battleship that may play like a cruiser, or a cruiser that may play more like a battleship. And now they're going to be stuck into cruiser playstyle or battleship playstyle, and since Battle cruisers are not particularly good at being a cruiser, and they're not particularly good at being a battleship, depending on where they are put. Like, you see, like, the Dunkirk is put as a battleship. It's not, like, particularly good at being a battleship. It plays more like a cruiser than it does a battleship. But if it has to use battleship skills, it's not going to be optimized as well as if it could use some cruiser skills that are, or that would be used in the, the pre-commander skill work days. So when you could choose just 
out of any skills that there are in the game, you can choose some skills that would be better for cruisers and make the Dunkirk work. Same with the Admiral Graf Spee. It's a cruiser that plays somewhat like a battleship. It's just a cru- it's probably going to be suffering a little bit less than maybe the Dunkirk. But I I don't know. I guess we'll have to see how it pans out for those type of ships. But for ships that play like a normal cruiser and play like a normal battleship, I think the skill is going or these skill reworks is going to be really good. Um and also there's a new thing where you don't have to just specialize your commander for a battleship. It when you receive 15 skill points, you're actually receiving what is that? Like 60 skills? Yeah, 60 skill points. But you're receiving 15 skill points for each uh, ship type. So if you have your commander on a... um, Let's say you have your Yamato or something like that. You have a commander on there. He's got 15 skill points. Most people have a 19-point commander by then, but 15 skill points. Well, you also, in this new commander rework, are going to have a commander with 15 skill points in the aircraft carrier section. So let's say you you decide to go to the Hosho, and you can take your Yamato commander, pluck him off the Yamato, plop him on uh, the Hosho, and have a 15 skill point commander on your tier 4 Hosho, which is way better than most normal, or I guess most players who are maybe just coming into the game and decide to go up the Hosho path. They're going to have maybe like a 4-point commander, and you'll have a 15-point commander, which I see is really cool. Now, this isn't all good news. The carriers are still kind of getting a bit of a buff. And if carriers, if you're a carrier player, a carrier main, I guess that's really good for you. Um, because their skills are increasing, like, you can increase your... Uh, actually, you know what, I can't find any uh, skills right now for the aircraft carriers. That's strange. Okay, anyways, but they were buffing the uh, the... Um, like the armor-piercing damage of your uh, bombs on, let's say, the MVR, so the Manfred von Richthofen. Um, and there wasn't any downside to it. Like you didn't, like your ship didn't have, uh, or your aircraft didn't slow down or something, or your aircraft weren't weaker. Versus with the battleship, if they want to take basically the same skill except for their armor-piercing shells, they have to take a plus forty percent flood duration or flood chance, I believe. Or flood duration, something like that. Like a serious, serious, serious downside to that skill. Like it's, you'll, yes, you'll have that extra damage on your piercing shells, but it's a huge risk because if the destroyer pops up within range and starts farming you, they're going to have three or four fires, depending on your skills, uh, burning on you quite easily. So that's interesting. Uh, they're also going to change the... Uh, or main battery firing range of the Atlanta from 11.1 to 13.3 kilometers, which is interesting because the Atlanta shell arcs are so high, I don't think you'll hit anything out at that range. But uh, I guess it's nice to have the extra range just so you can hit things from a little bit further away, especially if you're trying to farm a battleship or maybe a large cruiser. And then the French Tier 10 cruiser Colbert, um, acceleration and deacceleration dyna- dynamics have been improved. Um, I haven't seen a Culber. They're fairly rare ships. Um, they're basically just a tier 10 Atlanta. And and I certainly don't play the Culber, so I would not know if the acceleration deacceleration dynamics are bad. But uh, Culber players are probably going to be happy with that. 
And now when a ship's engine is critically damaged, it now continues to function at a 20% efficiency instead of stopping entirely, which I guess if the commander's skill rework hadn't been coming out, I would say that completely makes the last stand skill invalid, but they're probably just going to uh, chuck that out, whole skill out the window anyways, so interesting. Uh, also, they're also, they're making priority target a skill, uh, a two-point commander skill, and they're increasing the uh, amount of points that a commander can attain from 19 to 21, and they're changing the interface, which I do appreciate because the commander skills interface right now is pretty crappy. Um, but I really don't like them making priority target a two-point skill. Anyways, back to game balance changes. So now they're going to buff the German firing range. So uh, the standard firing range for uh, secondaries at tier 10, I don't know what they are now. I should, but I don't because I don't play German uh, uh, or I don't have any tier 10 battleships. But the standard firing range is going to, in the new update, is going to be 7.3 and the or 7.3 kilometers, and the German and French secondaries are going to have an 8.3 kilometer range, which I think is good, because they're trying to they're trying to give the German and French a leg over the other ship types, because they're kind of being nerfed, or they would be nerfed if they didn't have a buff in... Uh, okay, so, with the way this commander skills are working now, even in top configuration, they're still going to be lower. The range of their secondaries is still going to be lower than what it is now. So, so to compensate them for that, the range of their secondaries is being increased further in the base secondary range. So it's still going to be the same. One could argue that's that's a slight nerf because every other ship is getting a buff. Yeah, I mean, think what you may. I don't really have an interest in playing German battleships, so it doesn't really affect me that much. But uh, with all upgrades and skills, it's going to be a 12.5 kilometer range on the tier 10 German secondaries for battleships and cruisers. And uh, for other ones, it's just going to be an 11 kilometer range. So, I mean, eh, whatever. And they're also trying to make sure that the maximum possible range of secondary batteries is not going to be uh, over its minimum possible detectability. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So I would assume the Grosser Car first is probably going to get a concealment uh, nerf to in order to have its secondaries buffed, which, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to be complaining about that because as if it was ever possible to run a concealment build on a Grosser Car first. Uh, and they're also going to keep a close, or quote, We'll keep a close eye on all ships and how the update skills affects them. We will pay special attention to the Tier 7 Flint and Tier 10 Smolensk and secondary battery of battleships, end quote. Yeah, um, Smolensk is not available, so that's not really going to affect anyone who's new to the game, but Flint, I don't know if Flint is available anymore. Uh, no, it's an armory ship, never mind. Uh, how, I don't really see a lot of Flints. I would wish that they would keep more attention on the Atlanta because the Atlanta looks like an interesting ship and I might want to get it sometime. So we'll see how the uh, the second or the commander skills rework affects them and secondary battery battleships need to have attention because this, this update is going to be a little bit interesting for them. And final changes that they're making to the uh, commander XP retraining and recruitment is that they're going to half the retraining or like half the experience you have to earn to retrain a commander. They're also going to make it so that 
uh, non-elite commanders, so commanders that don't have the maximum amount of uh, points, are going to earn an additional 5% of their, of their XP is going to be elite commander XP. So that's uh, pretty cool. So you can earn elite commander XP and not have to necessarily spend money on retraining your commanders, redistribu- or redistributing their points, or uh, advancing their training. Uh, and you can also convert uh, commander XP. Uh, and there's a little bit of an interesting, uh, I guess, way they're doing this. So for up to 25% of the commander XP can, can be converted for 10 credits for per XP. And I certainly will take that option because I don't want to pay that much money. And then up to 100% of the commander XP can be converted one doubloon for 110 XP. So that's interesting. Uh, and there's also going to be uh, free retraining at, from update 0.10.0 to 0.10.1. And you can now sail a ship without a commander. I mean, if you ever wanted to do that. I guess if maybe you were playing with a friend and he had a certain type of ship and you just wanted to go in a division with that same type of ship, you could go get that ship and just sail it without having to worry about like redistributing or throwing a commander on there and then having skill points and everything. So... Maybe useful, maybe not. But I think that's enough for World of Warships news. There is more. You can just kind of check out their website. Uh, it's a very, very lengthy article going over the Commander Skills update. I'm not going to go over it all because we'd be here for over an hour. Uh, but I will see you guys in the next section of this episode where we'll go over the history of the KRI Gajamada. And welcome back to Rank Amateur. Right now we are about to go over the... Uh, naval history section of this episode on the Gajah Mada. And this is an Indonesian destroyer in World of Warships, but it did serve under three different navies uh, in its lifetime. So, without further ado, let's get into the stats, or the real-life stats, of this ship. So, she was an N-class destroyer, originally built in, some of the more knowledgeable of you will know, the Royal Navy. Uh, she had a displacement of 1,773 long tons standard and 2,384 long tons in the deep load. She was 356 feet 6 inches or, 180, or 108.7 meters, not 187. Uh, overall, she had a beam of 35 feet 9 inches, which is 10.9 meters. She had a draft of 12 feet 6 inches or 3.8 meters which is really shallow but then again she's a destroyer so uh she's not going to sit very low in the water uh she had 40,000 shaft horsepower and that was provided by two admiralty three drum boilers uh she had two shafts each powered by two steam turbines she could make 36 knots she had a range of 5,500 nautical miles at 15 knots which is fairly quick she had a complement of 183 sailors, um, and she, over her lifetime, had a few different types of radar, but as built, she had an ASDIC, which those are actually, um, they're uh, deployable, their tow sonar erased. So essentially what they do is they would tow these, uh, they kind of look a little bit like a torpedo, 
but they they sit on the fantail destroyer and they're on a little bit of a crane so the crane will go over the side and then they tow these and they can listen for like u-boats and other types of submarines as well as torpedoes and other ships actually as well because other ships do make noise with, with their engines and you can actually see this on the fantail of the gajamada in world of warships they're obviously not functional but they sit on the fantail destroyer so they're very very stern just over uh just before the edge of the ship and you can see them they have like a little bit of they look like a torpedo with wings and they're on kind of a hook it's hard to describe but they are on the stern of the destroyer if you go into the tech tree if you don't have the ship or in your port if you do have the ship and look at the stern they are there and that's quite interesting that they've been included um, it also has a Type 285 gunnery radar as built in a Type uh, 286 surface search radar. So that's a radar that's going to be looking for surface ships, uh, as the name implies. So she was armed with three twin QF 4.7-inch or 120mm Mark uh, 12 guns. And these are the trademark British destroyer guns. They were literally put on every ship smaller than a cruiser, and even on some cruisers as, and battleships as secondary weapons. Uh, they were a staple of the Royal Navy during World War II and uh, a little bit after the time after and before the war. Um, she had one a single four QF four inch Mark V 102 millimeter AA gun. She had a single 20 millimeter Orlikan AA gun, or she had four single 20 millimeter Orlikan AA guns. She had two twin. A uh, half inch or 12.7 millimeter Mark III machine guns, one quintuple 21 inch torpedo tube, and 45 depth charges. Uh, so obviously, in the World of Warships version of the ship, she does have two quintuple torpedo tubes, and they tend to be very dangerous if you can actually find a way to use them. But more on that later. So this ship did serve in three different navies, as I said before. So she was. First laid down as HMS Nonpareil in uh, May of 1940, specifically the 22nd of May 1940. Uh, she was launched on June 25th, 1941. Uh, she didn't really serve that long. She only served for around a year before she was then transferred to the uh, Royal Netherlands Navy and served as the HNLMS uh, Tjurk Hiddes. I think that's how you pronounce it. I've tried to listen to Google Translate, and I don't really know how to pronounce it either. So I apologize to those who are listening from the Netherlands. So she was acquired by the Royal Netherlands Navy on May 27, 1942. Uh, and she was completed because they did modify her a bit, and more on that a little bit later, uh, on, or in June 1942. I haven't been able to find a date for that. Uh, she, and she was commissioned on October 30th, 1942, with the pennant number G16. And then on March 1st, 1951, she was sold to Indonesia, where she served as our uh, current, I guess, World of Warships version of her as the KRI Gajamada. And the, she was obviously uh, acquired in 1951, served for 10 years, and was scrapped in 1961. Uh well, let's get into the service of the HMS Nonprelly Treasure Kitties and Gajamada, the N class destroyer here. So, she literally did nothing in the Royal Navy. She only served for a year, and that was mostly just, I guess, training, maybe. The, I have not been able to find any information about that. But uh, she was prepared for foreign service in June and July of. 
1941, so I guess they're preparing her. Um, and in mid-July, she joined the escort of military convoy WS-21P from uh, the Firth of Clyde to the Indian Ocean, and during the voyage, uh, the convoy gained a further eight ships of the convoy AS-4, and they were carrying the equipment for the 8th Army, which was at this time stationed in Egypt. However, on August 20th, uh, the Chizurk Hitties, as she was transferred to the Royal Netherlands Navy by this time, uh, and the HMAS Nepal left the convoy, and then they sailed into Kalindi Harbor, which is in Kenya. And in September, the first interesting service of the Tijurk Hitties uh, begins, and sh- this is when she joined the forces uh, to invade Madagascar. And Madagascar at the time was a French colony, specifically a Vichy French colony. Uh, and so she was going to participate in the preparatory exercises as well as escorting the HMS Illustrious with fellow N-class uh, Dutch destroyer Van Galen. Um, and specifically, they were going to provide HMS Illustrious to ac- or with a passage to Mahajinka, I think, uh, a certain northern uh, Madagascar city. And that was pretty much her only interesting action from then until 1944. Uh, she served as a convoy escort between Sydney and Fremantle. And this was under the control of the United States 7th Fleet, because remember, the Netherlands was currently under the control of Germany. Or, well, kind of. Uh, the Netherlands government had escaped to Britain, but had mostly been using its military forces under the United States, the UK, and, like, Australia. Although this was interrupted by a few different actions, uh, she, uh, on the 4th, 11th, and 15th of December, uh, 1942... Uh, she did evacuate civilians and allied troops from Timor, and between the 18th and the 24th of February 1943, she was deployed with Van Gallen, which was that N-class destroyer from earlier, and the cruisers HMS Adelaide and HN LMS Tromp, which was one of the few uh, Dutch cruisers in World War II to escort troops between Fremantle and Melbourne, and this was part of the military convoy that was carrying the Australian 9th Division, which had been recalled from the Middle East with reluctance from the British Admiralty, Uh, and this was just to defend Australia against the very apparent and aggressive Japanese threat, which had yet to be beaten back by the uh, U.S. forces, as the U.S. forces were still kind of just churning out uh, new destroyers and ships to assist them in pushing back the extremely aggressive Japanese. In February 1944, she did join a search for a German blockade runner, which was supposedly, or allegedly, in route from Japan to Germany, but that supposed blockade runner was never found, so that was a bit of interesting service for this ship in the mundane early months of 1944. In March 1944, the uh deployed with a really large Commonwealth fleet to rendezvous with the uh, U.S. aircraft carrier USS Saratoga, and this uh, role or this, I guess, uh, fleet was primarily used to retrain the Commonwealth nations' navies to U.S. Navy procedures so that they could serve as a British Pacific fleet uh, and. Uh, 
uh, operate with the United States Navy. And the problem with that is the British and the U.S. had different procedures for, I guess, executing problems and or dealing with problems rather. Uh, rather, and executing maneuvers, and just having general flight operations. So they needed to train the Commonwealth aviators and sailors in the American way of doing things. And the re- and they did this by tra- using Japanese oil installations as sort of a target practice uh, for executing, like, a, quote, real mission. And this had two results. They were able to destroy Japanese oil installations, which is always good in World War II, and they were hoping that they would be able to successfully train the Commonwealth sailors and aviators, and they would also hope that the Japanese would kind of, I guess, let go of those certain territories that the Americans and the Commonwealth uh, navies were trying to go after to resecure under their control. And the Tajur Kitties then returned prematurely to Trincomalee uh, on March 25th to undergo repairs on her mechanical systems as they had various defects in them. And then on October 1944, she returned to the United Kingdom and moved to Dundee for a refit. And this lasted until August 1945, and by that time, the war was over. So now we go into her peacetime service. And in Dutch service, that really wasn't that interesting, just kind of typical peacetime duties for a uh, destroyer. And in in March 1951, she was transferred to the Indonesian Navy. And it was more kind of mundane peacetime service for the Gajah Mada, except for in April of 1958, when Gajah Mada took part in the operation uh, to crush the PRI, PRRI rebellion in West Sumatra, which was an amphibious landing. Uh, she basically just acted as shore bombardment support for the Indonesian Marines who were landing on Tabing Beach, or Tabing Beach, uh, Pang Dang, I think is how you pronounce it. I don't know. Uh, but in June 1958, uh, Gahamada and the Bathurst-class Corvette Pati Unis and Albatross Class Corvette Sultan Hasudin or Hasnudin and uh, Patty Matra uh, took part in short bombardment in Operation Independence, the first uh, in an amphibious landing at Kenma, North Sulawesi, to capture the Premista rebel capital of Manendo. Okay, <laughs> I give up. I really do. But basically, just crushing rebellions is what this ship did. Uh, and then she was removed from the active list in 1961 and scrapped. So that concludes the uh, naval history section of this episode on Gaja Mada. Uh, not super interesting as Gaja Mada, but as the Netherlands ship Tajur Kitties, very interesting. And so we will be back in just a moment with the World of Warships section of this episode. Welcome back to Rank Amateur, fellow captains, and we are about to dive into the World of Warships section of the Gaja Mada episode. And without further ado, let's get into it. So, she... I guess we'll do stock for this time. So she has stock at 12,000 hit points. She's a Tier 7 Tech Tree destroyer, by the way. 12,000 hit points. Uh, her main battery consists of 120mm, 45 caliber uh, rifles... 
There are six of them and disposed in three turrets of two guns each. They have a reload time of five seconds, 180 degree turn time of or uh, 18 seconds rather, uh, which is it's okay. I mean, it's nothing like maybe the Fletcher or the um, Hassan Yang will get, but that's at tier eight. It's pretty good for its tier. The firing range is 10.85 kilometers. The maximum dispersion is 104 meters, which is reasonable um he shell is a 120 millimeter he shell there's no, no specific uh naming for it uh fire chance is eight percent which is okay although i do seem to not get a whole lot of fires on this ship maybe it's just my bad luck i tend to have uh bad luck with rngs uh the initial he shell velocity is 808 meters a second which it really feels slower than it is. It feels like it is just shooting these these shells up into low Earth orbit, which it really isn't. I mean, I guess I don't know why they feel like that, but I just feel like the shells take forever to get where they're going. Um, the AB shell is 120 millimeters, no specific uh, name for it. It does 2100 maximum damage. Oh, I neglected to tell you the maximum HE to shell damage, which is uh, 1700 damage, so a little bit lower than average. Um, uh, and the a initial AP shell velocity is 808 meters a second as well. The AP shell weight is, uh, 22.8 kilograms and, or 22.68 kilograms. That's the same with the HE shell. Uh, the main issue these guns have is the fact that they're only 120 millimeters. And this is the same for all British and Commonwealth, uh, ships. They're only 120 millimeter guns, and they're not like the Japanese 100 millimeter guns. And the fact that the Japanese 100 millimeter guns get a huge um, penetration buff. So the high explosive, especially if you get up tiered into tier nine battles, will literally not damage pretty much anything. Um, you damage the superstructure of battleships, and even then, you'll get some non pens on the superstructure. And that can seriously hinder your damage performance in, uh, or damage output in this Gahamada. So I find myself slinging armor-piercing most of the time because I have no other choice. And even if the armor-piercing ricochets, well, then you're just going to have to resort to the high explosive and hope that it sets fires, which is the problem with taking IFHE on this ship. I mean, that's going to change in a later update with that Commander Skills rework, but... Um, you lose your fire chance. You'll gain a little bit more penetration, but you lose your fire chance. So if you can't penetrate something, then you really can't set it on fire. So it's out of the frying pan into the fire with that. All right, so the torpedo tubes, they're a bit of a mixed bag. Um, so there's two quintuple torpedo tube launchers. So that's a total of 10 torpedoes. Obviously, we can do basic math. The base reload time, so for the completely unupgraded ship, is 131 seconds. That is a long time at Tier 7. Like, a long time. Especially for torpedoes, they're deep water. <laughs> uh, the rotation speed is, well, uh, the same as any other one, 7.2 seconds. Torpedoes uh, do 14,400 maximum damage. Torpedo speed is kind of slow at 60 knots. I mean, it's not unbelievably slow, but they just seem slow. Uh, and the torpedo range is 8.01 kilometers, so this thing will stealth torp by a large margin, which is really cool. A defense is, at, as most destroyers other than the Holland and the Smallland, is negligible. Uh, the maneuverability, the ship has the historically accurate top speed of 36 knots, a turning circle radius of 590 meters, which is reasonably tight, and a rudder shift time of a pretty quick 4.6 seconds, or at least it seems pretty quick. I mean, I don't play that many destroyers, 
but um, it compared to other destroyers, it's middle to upper end of the pack. It's not quite the quick, quickest, but it's pretty good. Uh, the concealment, the surface detectability range is 7.02 kilometers, which is at base reasonable. Um, but if you upgrade this thing, full concealment with concealment expert and the second hull, I believe. No, okay, just full concealment expert. You can get this thing's concealment down to 6.2 kilometers, which is really good. Uh, considering most people, or a lot of people, don't have a uh, 10-point commander up, it's even at Tier 7. Uh, now, there are obviously people who do, but you will outspot pretty much anything. I believe the Japanese might have a little bit of a leg up on you uh, in terms of the concealment department here. But other than that, it is... Like the Jean Wei, actually. It plays does play a lot like the Jean Wei, which is that tier 5 um, Pan-Asian Destroyer. And it's jack-of-all-trades, master of pretty much none, except for the concealment and the smoke generator. But before we get into this, uh, the way you play this ship, let's get into the upgrades. So I have a main armaments modification 1, engine room protection, uh, and then the aiming systems modification 1, because it allows you for some more accurate gunnery. And you're going to need that because every shell you miss here tends to hurt, um, especially since you need those shells to hit a specific spot in battleships and cruisers because you won't really pen anywhere else. You can't pen the bows of battleships that you're going to be facing other than the tier 7 and below. So if you get up tiered, you won't be able to pen anything other than the superstructure. So you need to make sure that you're hitting that superstructure. Um, and then we're going to go with Propulsion Modification 1, and this is because you are going to be stopping and starting and stopping and starting in the ship, so you need, to be, you need to be getting up and going. And people are like, well, this is a British destroyer, it's going to get that British acceleration. It should, but it doesn't. Why that is, I don't know. I know the Haida gets it. It's British, technically, or it's British in design, but not in British in, um, I guess, national flag. Uh, why the Gajamada, excuse me, doesn't get it, I don't know. It would be really nice to have that, but uh, that's why you take the propulsion modification one. I'm going to go through the recommended commander skills for the grand total of all 10 days or whatever that it's going to be useful to people. So for people from the very far future, or not the very far, the two weeks in the future, this is uh, the old pre-commander rework uh uh, commander skills suggestions. So as always, we're going to go with priority target in um, the uh, one point skills. And that's pretty much all you need there. You could go with uh, preventative maintenance and that's going to reduce the risk of incapacitation of your torpedo tubes and stuff and gun turrets, which it does hurt when you have your torpedo tubes knocked out. I had one of my torpedo tubes actually at one point I had my torpedo tubes knock, one of them knocked out and one of them destroyed and that was not fun. Um... Then you're going to go with Last Stand first over Adrenaline Rush because Last Stand is a must for every destroyer. Then you're going to go... Okay, actually, you know, the three-point skills is kind of... Uh, you can go a few different ways here. So Demolition Expert is extremely useful because, remember, you're not going to be penning many things here, so you're going to need to set fires, and that's going to add an extra 2% chance of your HE shells causing a fire. Uh, you can add superintendent, which I personally have on my captain, because I have a 10-point commander on my Gahamada, or Gajamada, excuse me. Uh, the 
and it adds an extra smoke screen, or actually all your other consumables, but these, it adds an extra smoke screen, rounding out at six smoke screens, which is kind of crazy because these are very good Pan-Asian smokes. They're not quite like the American smokes in how long they last, but their reload, if you sit in your smoke until it's completely dissipated, which isn't necessarily recommended, but you can do it in the Pan-Asian destroyers, you will have 10 seconds that you need to wait before another smoke is available. That's that's quite crazy. It's it's smokes on demand. So rather than having to wait a long time in like your Soviets, your Japanese, or your American destroyers, and for that matter, the French, pretty much everything else, uh, if you're in like a serious trouble, like holding a flank or something like that, you can just smoke, stay uh, undetected for 10 seconds, smoke, stay undetected, or then after that's dissipated, stay uh, just not fired for 10 seconds, smoke, smoke, smoke. It's good at holding flanks that way. Just be careful of those radar cruisers. Be very careful of those radar cruisers. That's like the ultimate killer of these uh, DDs. And then there's also Survivability Expert, which after Superintendent is my recommendation because this ship does like to take gunfights. It's a gunboat for sure. Uh, more on the playstyle later, but it is nice to have that extra um, th- that extra HP. And for the four point commander skills, w- without a doubt, hands down, concealment expert. This thing needs it. It needs concealment expert because it goes from having meh concealment to having very very good concealment for its tier. It's like second to, like I said, the Japanese ones or Japanese destroyers. So, uh, Gajamada is the last Pan-Asian destroyer to equip a smoke generator, not be able to equip radar. I really can't wait till I can get to that Hasenyang. I have enough experience, but then I spent it on getting to North Carolina. So, uh, I guess I'll have to work a little bit more to get the experience on the Gajamada or Gajamada. But that review of the Hasenyang will be coming in the future. Anyways, let's get to those signals. So I highly, 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 highly recommend running uh, Juliet Charlie. And that is going to completely eliminate the risk of your magazine detonation. And the reason why I say that is because I get detonated all the time when I don't run this flag, especially in destroyers, so I always, always run this. Um, Even on... I actually run it on every ship I have, with the exception of my aircraft carriers, which I only have one of those actually right now. Um... But it is I find it useful. And most of you will be asking, well, why do you run it on your cruisers? Because there was uh, a time where, actually a few, twice, where the opening shots of the match were at shot at me by the enemy team. And I was in my New Orleans twice now. Actually, I have the Baltimore now, but uh, before, when I had my New Orleans, I was... Uh, just going out to my position behind an island or to the flag, I don't remember what it was, but I got detonated by a destroyer, a five-inch shell, non-penetrating shell, because the sound effects are different, a non-penetrating shell detonated me from full health to nothing. And Wargaming allegedly says that you can't be detonated under 75% health. Uh, that bug's still not out. You can be detonated to any health. So that's why I really recommend running that. Anyways, off that tangent... Um, another one you should use is both the flags that provide fire chance. So India X-Ray Victor Victor Lima, and those are just going to increase the chance of your causing a fire by 1% respectively. Sierra Mike can be useful. I do find it useful on my destroyers that are faster though. 
just to buff their speed a little more, because this, this ship is not particularly fast. I mean, it can get up to 40 knots with the speed flag and the speed boost active. Uh, speed is really not what this thing's special for. Save those flags for something that really needs speed. Uh, and then in November Foxtrot is going to reduce the reload time even further on your smoke generator consumable. So I really recommend that as well. Uh, and then economic flags as you see fit. Uh, I don't recommend running an anti-aircraft flag because what is anti-aircraft anyways? Uh, save us for something like your Montanas or your U.S. cruisers or like your hoods if you have one. Because those can actually like make decent use of it. Um, you can use X-Ray Papa Unown, I think, or Unown, uh, which is that... One of the two new signals they added for combat that's going to increase your uh, action of the time of the smoke generator by 15%. Yeah, that's useful. Um, if you have any Commonwealth ships, though, that have the continuously generating smoke screen or Italian ships with the exhaust smoke screen, that is much more useful there. So if you don't have any of those ships, yeah, just throw it on there. I mean, what the heck? It doesn't really, it doesn't really matter that much. You're more just sitting in your smoke screen rather than, uh, I guess, moving with your smoke screen. But it certainly doesn't hurt to have a larger smoke screen because these things can generate a very large smoke screen. And I've seen on YouTube. No, where was it? No, maybe it was one of my friends who told me about it. But there's a uh, division that he was playing uh, a battle against, and they it was three Pan Asian destroyers. I don't remember which ones it what they were, but they all had smoke screens, and they literally just kept one side of the map smoked up the entire time. Because in between their reload, they could time their reload so they could just pretty much have the the that certain half the map smoked up. So they just kept their team smoked up so no one could uh, shoot at their team and they spotted for them. So yeah, you can guess who won that match. Bit of a meme of a division. But let's get to the play style of Gaja, Gaja Mata. I just swear, I can't pronounce this ship's name. I do apologize if I'm still managing to butcher it. But... This ship plays a lot like the Fletcher, and I did go over the Fletcher in a previous episode if you're curious on how to play that ship. But it really, it doesn't like contesting caps if it's up-tiered. If it's up-tiered, you, obviously with most things you play more passively. But this thing is really good at using island cover uh, to shoot over because of its relatively low-ish shell velocity. I mean, it's not American, but it still does have a low shell velocity, so you can shoot over islands. Uh, but when you're down-tiered, when you're playing against Tier 5s or Tier 6s, this thing is a monster. It can be really a monster. The only thing that can really give this thing a run for its money is the Eagle, that French thing that's got 17,000 hit points, because this thing in top configuration with a survivability expert on it, or a captain equipped with a survivability expert on it, it can actually top, I think, like 16,200 hit points, I want to say. Uh, somewhere around there, but definitely a lot of hit points. So with that, these rapid-firing guns and the fact that it can sneak up on basically anything, it, it can be really a nasty surprise for anything that comes across, uh, especially those Japanese things and uh, sometimes the European destroyers. Now, it, it really can be given a run for its money by the American destroyer, I think it's the Manhattan uh, Tier 7, and that's just because uh, it has a identical reload, a faster turret traverse time. But the Gahamada 
or Gajamada can fire its guns when it's severely angled and give you a really small target profile to shoot at. And that's because uh, that third turret, or actually uh, turrets B and X, so the second turret and the third turret are one once or not 180, 360-degree turrets. They can fire in 300, or rotate in 360 degrees, and I believe, actually, I don't know what the firing angles are, but it can't be more than, like, 15 degrees off the bow for uh, the third turret to get into action. Now, in turn, this destroyer does share that weird, like, splash guard that on the forward turrets that allows the, the first turret, so A turret, to fire backwards at a very very bad angle so you pretty much have to give flat broadside in order for the first turret to fire backwards so this ship is not very good kiting but pushing you can basically get all your guns to fire and that's six guns that's pretty hefty especially when you're dealing with destroyers which don't really have that much plating so they won't really shatter your high explosive shells although your high explosive shells don't do comparatively that much damage they do have a five-second reload. There are six of them per salvo, and you, especially with some careful maneuvering, you can gun down pretty much every destroyer. Now, uh, let's say maybe you're not as confident of a destroyer player, quite like I am, and you really don't want to have to engage in a gunfight. Well, this thing is really good at spotting things. So if you, a good idea is just to hang outside the cap, and then wait for things to come into your spotting range, because remember, you will outspot pretty much everything. So you can kind of just hang outside the cap, not necessarily contesting it, and if nothing really comes into the cap, you can definitely go in and start picking a fight with what's on the other side of the cap, or just cap it. Since it does have that really good detection range, it is good at capping, but this thing's weakness is rare. It kind of ruins its game, because then once you lose that element of surprise, you're uh, kind of done for. In the sense that you either have to A, retreat, or B, you'll probably be destroyed, depending on what's radaring you. So, yeah, you use, you use your guns a lot in this ship. You don't really use your torpedoes. You definitely have to think of your torpedoes as secondary to your guns, because the torpedoes do have a very, very long reload time. Uh, in the top configuration, uh, not using any upgrades or commander skills, you can get it down to 120 seconds. It's just a really long time. That's two minutes for... Yeah, I know, I can do math, right? That's two minutes for a Tier 7 torpedo that only does, in top configuration, 15,000 damage. It's it's really disappointing. It's I mean, these things are spotted at 0.8 kilometers, which is extremely stealthy. I believe it gives you, like, four seconds to react to them. And they ignore torpedo protection because they're deep water. Um... That can be useful for taking out battleships. I have um, been capping a base, and there was a uh, Duke of York that was coming to reset me when I was playing my Gaja Amada, and I just flooded the water with torpedoes and sank him, because even with Hydroacoustic Search, I mean, I think his Hydroacoustic Search was on cooldown because he was dealing with another destroyer, but even Bao Win, he was Bao Win to me, he still couldn't avoid my torpedoes, and they do 15,000 damage each, so that's 30,000 damage, that was the rest of his health, and he sunk, and I managed to win the game. Uh, you can use them, but the problem is, if you fire and you miss, it hurts, because you only get an opportunity to launch 10 torpedo salvos per game, and if one of them misses, well, do the math there. So, I mean, I recommend maybe if you're not sure something's going to hit, launching one salvo, 
or one launcher and then keeping the other in reserve in case you come across a uh, battleship. But I guess if you really wanted to play this thing like a torpedo boat, I'd go to the center cap and kind of use the islands as cover and maybe ambush uh, a battleship that's unsuspecting of your presence. The problem with that is carriers, they can just spot you from anywhere. And if you get spotted, then, well, that's kind of screwed up your game as far as uh, trying to surprise battleships. But I think the best way to play this is just kind of play it like a Fletcher. So if you're up to here, play it really passively and just kind of stay alive. Because this thing, like most ships, it becomes progressively more dangerous as the game comes on or goes on as it attain or keeps its health with this thing's stealth in the end of the game they'd be hard pressed to find you because you're going to outspot everything assuming there's not a japanese destroyer left on the team and you're like but Jaden, you haven't really given us a, a thing to do if we need to hold the flank well i mean i kind of alluded to it before but i have not mentioned in the playstyle it's smokescreen now the smoke screen is extremely useful. You can smoke up a cap. You can smoke up um, a flank if some, something needs to retreat, or uh, you can smoke up a push. You can, I mean, that's true with any destroyer with a smoke, but you can smoke it pretty much constantly. But if it's an American destroyer, once that smoke runs out, you still have to wait like I think like thirty seconds, or even even more than that. But with the Gajamada, it's only ten seconds, and then there's another smoke. And it also, since there's six smokes. It makes it like less of a loss if you're forced to smoke up from a carrier. Let's say a carrier comes over, you're on 200 health or something like that from a gunfight with a, uh, a like a Fletcher or something that snuck up on you, or not snuck up on you, came around an island or something like that. Well, you can just afford to smoke up versus a U.S. destroyer who only has four smoke screens if he's in top configuration would have to waste a quarter of his smoking ability on just saving himself from the carry. Versus the Gajamada, it's only a sixth at the top, and it's pretty useful. I remember one game when I had managed to push a flank with a few other cruisers, and we had reached the enemy's base, and they were too busy dealing with our with the other half of our team on the other flank. Uh, what I did is I essentially laid a large line of smoke in between the other team and the cruisers that were with me so they could shoot through the smoke, not be spotted, be scoring damage, and capping the base at the same time. So we managed to win because of the smoke. The battleships could not see our cruisers to get at them and start shooting at them because of the smoke screen. That just shows you the utility of the ship. This ship is very, very useful to a team. I also remember another time where there was a battleship on extremely low health when I was playing uh, in my Gajamata, and I told him just to stop firing, and I'd smoke him up. So I stopped. Fi he stopped firing. I smoked him up. He was able. I saved or I didn't save him. We kind of both worked together to save him. So I smoked him up. He stopped. It sat in the smoke, healed up like thirteen thousand more health or so, and was able to continue the fight. That just shows you again the utility of the ship. It can be a bit tricky to play at times. I remember having my first probably about five games on the ship thinking, what is this ship? It sucks so bad. But now I actually really like it because of the uh, amount of guns. It does have six of them, which is a lot for its tier. Um, I guess not a lot, but is more than other ships. I mean, you only have four guns on the tier 8 Hassan Yang. Uh, granted, those are 127 mils. 
you have decent speed, really good concealment, and torpedoes that do a lot of damage. They're more of an alpha strike. They don't really... I mean, all torpedoes are more of an alpha strike, but they don't have the reload to match any other ship at its tier. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's the lowest or slowest reload of the steer, and that's just to balance out the fact that you can spot him only, or you can only spot him at 0.8 of a kilometer, assuming you're not running hydroacoustic search or torpedo uh, lookout system. But this ship just kind of is a jack of all trades. It can't really, uh, I guess, outmatch any destroyer. Like, every destroyer is going to have an advantage over the Gajamada, but the Gajamada is going to have an advantage over every other destroyer. With the exception of the American destroyers, because this thing can't hit the American destroyers with its deepwater torpedoes, and it can be hit by the American torpedoes because those are not deepwater torpedoes. But what's the gist of this ship? Well, I guess tier 7 and below games, just cap. Go straight to the cap and spot for your team to get the most intelligence you can, and maybe an early cap off, and then an early destroyer kill if something dares to cap with you. Uh in tier 9 and above games, hang back just outside of the cap, spot what's in it, if there's something that's in it that you just can't rival, well then, lay a smoke screen, get out of there, and kind of just regroup and go from there. Maybe use some island cover. Don't be afraid to use your smoke screen, because it allows you to, obviously, shoot from smoke very, very often, and uh, it allows you to deploy your smoke quickly, in case there's, I guess, a continued threat from the last time you deployed your smoke. And certainly, do not be afraid to take some risks in going after enemy destroyers. However, this ship will be punished if, or will punish you, if you get overextended it. So just be careful. If it's a lone destroyer you're going after, go ahead and take it. But be sure to stick with your team because this ship offers very uh, large amounts of utility to your team and smoking up caps and things because of its American-like... Uh, I guess it's not American-like smokescreen, but it's a smoke ship that can be used like an American ship. Its smokescreens don't last as long, but it can, uh, I guess it's a hybrid between American and British smokes. You can get smokes more often, but they don't last as long as American smokes, but they last longer than British smokes, and you have more charges than American smokes, but around the same amount of charges as a British smoke. I guess that was a bit more than a gist, but use the ship's guns more than its torpedoes. Don't be afraid to use its smokes. And uh, be careful when in Tier 9 games. This thing doesn't usually uh, up-tier that great unless the enemy team's incapable of thinking and breathing at the same time, which I guess in World of Warships is not that uncommon. But I think that wraps it up for this episode. If you enjoy this episode, please be sure to give me a positive review. If you have any questions, concerns, or suggestions for a ship of the next episode, please email me, uh, rankamateurpodcast at gmail.com is the email. I love reading your emails. I will read them out in the next podcast and respond to you as soon as possible. However, it is exams week at my school, so I might not be able to respond to you super quickly. Uh, be sure to support my podcast by uh, going to the Rank Amateur Merchandise Store that is linked in the episode's description. And also you can donate uh, and support my podcast at my Anchor page, which is also going to be linked in the description. Hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I loved making it. And until next time, Captains...